spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Welcome to Max Mike Movies, that show where those guys talk about that movie. The guys? Vivaciously verbal Max Levine and his smarmy sidekick, Mike Luce. Guess Hello. which is which? <laughs> you just did the sidekick voice. Hello. Thanks, Thanks Squiggy. <laughs> Hello, Lloyd. Hello, Sean. We're continuing our series of movies that we've really been meaning to see called I've Been Meaning to See That. This week, it's a biggie, one of those movies. A movie where, if you haven't seen it, you must consider yourself the choco dial of gourmet desserts. <laughs> Look it up, folks. Uh, because that's a metaphor that makes total, total sense. Yeah. We're going to be no, discussing... it doesn't. <laughs> Max, I'm going to turn you off. <laughs> I can do that. I'm the sound engineer. It says so right here. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing the 1951 classic Streetcar Named Desire. I hadn't seen it. Max, who is no Chocodile, had. Uh, no, I've never seen the movie. Max, who is a Chocodile, hadn't. <laughs> I read really? the play. Mm -hmm. You read the play? I did. Well, that's like seeing it. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, uh, he would have put me in his place, but he failed. <clears throat> but before we move on, there's business to take care of. Contact us. Tell us we're right, wrong, or other things directly via our exclusive email address, mm -hmm. us at maxmikemovies.com. Except no substitution. Some parts may be made of chicken, not available in all states. Sorry, Tennessee. Uh, yeah, sad. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Fort Worth. Uh, <laughs> like your daily dose of social media? Twitter and Facebook know us as the same, Max Mike Movies. Podcast app? We've got you covered on Apple's and Google's apps under that very same name. And last... But not least, go to our website where you'll learn absolutely nothing about us, but we'll be able to check in our entire back catalog of episodes and leave snarky comments. But now, Streetcar. The show. You hadn't seen it. I thought you had. You lied to me. Lied, <laughs> lied. Wait, you know what? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, something we have not done in a long while. Max, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was starting to miss that. Uh, yeah, boy, it's like Zangief's ass, isn't it? I All know, over again. Really and re is. Remember, folks, toss, don't stack. Indeed. You'll save. I won't <laughs> say it. I can't it say it. Yeah, you'll yeah, save yeah. someone you love. Um, so <laughs> trivia. Paper cuts. Yep. Yeah, boy, uh, who? Uh, uh -huh. I think movie trivia started with this film. Uh, <laughs> but so uh, the the real basic stuff. Budget one point eight million. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna guess part of that had to do with. Um, some of the cast, uh, Marlon was not big at this point, although he did uh, uh, start the role on Broadway. Um, Tennessee, I'm guessing, wanted some money for doing the film or, or, or adapting his play. And Vivian also, Lee, I bet, wanted a chunk. Yeah, well, we'll get to her, but the budget was $1.8 mm -hmm. The take, remember this is in 1950s dollars, was $8 million. So oh, it, um, it did pretty it, well. It did pretty darn well. And considering nothing blows up, you know, that's mm -hmm. uh, pretty... Well, I wouldn't say that. This film was nominated for 12 Academy Awards. Yeah. This does not happen that often. It won four. Mm -hmm. It won for Best Actress, being Vivian Lee. Yep. Best Supporting Actor, Carl Malden. Mm -hmm. Best Supporting Actress, Kim Hunter. And Best Art Direction. It lost Best Picture to American in Paris. Other films that were nominated that year include Decision Before Dawn, don't know it, mm. A Place in the Sun, Ooh. And and quo vadis. Oh no! Heard about it, never saw it. Yeah, so it was it was a reasonably big um, 
year. And speaking of losing out uh, an Oscar, Marlon Brando yeah. in one of his signature performances, and this one is one of those, oh, yeah, I guess I can see that. He lost it to Humphrey Bogart for African Queen. Yeah, I guess I can understand that because people yeah. had felt Humphrey had, should have won several times. I, you know what? And I will go out on a limb and say that that may very well be his best performance. It is a terrific performance. It is. Uh, don't feel bad for Marlon, though. He would be nominated for the next three years. Yeah, and he uh, won twice. I think he'd already won for um, On the Waterfront, didn't he? Nope, that would come later. Um, that would be okay. 1954, I think. Or, okay, then, uh, but he did win for that, and he won for The Godfather. Yes, he did. He uh, was nominated for Viva Zapata, Julius Caesar, and then On the Waterfront. Uh, this film, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, was his only second film. So, again, don't feel too bad for him. We'll, mm. we'll be seeing more of him later on. <laughs> lots, lots more of him. Um, <laughs> the next film to win as many Oscars for acting wouldn't come until 1976. That film would be Network. It, too, would not uh, win. Or, no, actually, this, yeah, it, too, would not win Best Picture. No, but it won the, I think it won all four. Uh, did it win just three, or did it win all four uh, best uh, the acting ones? Uh, I think it won all four because it said win. So. There have only been three movies that won all of the you know the big five: yeah. picture, director, actor, actress, supporting. Yeah, that basically just does not happen. It do, all... or sorry, not supporting, but yeah, you know it's happened three times. It happened one night, one flew, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Those are yeah. not three films I would have suspected for that. No. Not, not saying that they're not good, but there's all these big tentpole films. They're not tentpole films, but like like this film, you would have thought. Mm. would. But of course, when you've got other things up there, like African Queen and American yeah. in Paris, it's like, oh, yeah. crap, it's one of those years. Damn, too much good stuff to watch at the theater. I wonder what that's like. Um, <laughs> they specifically had to tailor Marlon Brando's T-shirts to um, to fit that, that way. It will be... <laughs> We'll be getting back to that real, course, real soon. Huge pectoral muscles. Oh, man. Yeah. So, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's deal... funny. Though, I'm sorry. I just got to interrupt. When you, most people, let's face it, of our generation, even of our generation and the younger folks, we, we remember Marlon Brando from later films when he was somewhat um, different. Yeah. Plusher. <laughs> We uh, to, to, forget to, he, to quote Colonel Henry Blake. He um, wore tutus in eight hole bakeries. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, in his early days, he was stunning. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get back to Mar Marlon and... Yeah. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> a good deal of the original Broadway cast reprised the roles in this film, including Carl Malden and Marlon Brando and Kim Hunter. Jessica mm. Tandy was the original Blanche Dubois. Ooh, that um, worked. But uh, they wanted to get Vivian Leigh because she had more star power at that time. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Uh, Vivian Leigh, who was then married to Laurence Olivier, said she received more helpful advice from her husband than from director, and I'm going to get this wrong, Aya Kazan. I saw that somewhere Eli that that's how... Elia. That, apparently that he pronounced it Aya. I've always, at the Oscars, I saw the one where he got his special award. It's Eli he, Everyone pronounced it Elia. The, the quote I saw was from him. Okay. But whatever. Um, yeah, so more from... And... and uh, Elia, El Elia, Aya, however he pronounces his name. Yeah, he was no slouch in the directing department. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'll get a little bit more to him, too. Yeah, there's a lot um, more to say about him. Uh, he directed the stage version. He actually originated it and ran for 855 shows. Oof. So he was pretty well um, related with this film, or mm -hmm. so this this play, this this thing. And he was kind of begged by Tennessee Williams to please do this movie version. Please, please, please. 
Uh, the set of the Kowalski apartment was made physically smaller throughout the movie to help mm. emphasize Blanche's feeling of claustrophobia. I didn't pick up on that. I thought it was just, you know, sort of tighter directing, but apparently they literally made the set get smaller and smaller. I did notice that because the first time she goes in there and I'm looking at the, the, the apartment going, wow, this place is enormous. Yeah, not so much <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, guess how long? Ceilings. Yeah, wouldn't that be? Well, that's actually fair because there's a lot of that kind of architecture down in New Orleans because mm. it's a way of, of having the heat basically rise up out of your oh, way. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Guess how long it took to shoot this film? I have no idea. 36 days. Wow. That's it. Just barely, just over a month? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I think part of that is because, you know, the director, the most of the cast were so acquainted with it that, you know, sure, the blocking was different, but uh, they were like, yeah, we get it. We, we don't have mm. to do too much of the rehearsing because we've done this 855 times. So uh, a few major changes were demanded by the studio from the play to the movie version. Mm. Blanche's husband deemed merely sensitive in the movie, and I wondered about this, Yeah, was actually caught deal. in bed with another man in the yeah. play. That's this why is, she says he, she, he disgusted her. Well, this is when she calls him weak, mm -hmm. and it's because of that that he kills himself. Apparently, Blanche doesn't understand the correlation between those two things, mm. her calling him weak and him killing himself. But uh, in the play, uh, this is the, the homosexual content, which they could not have in movies, because, of course, there were no homosexuals in the 50s. Right. Everyone knows no, no, that. i, I got to disagree with you. She does know that uh, him call, what he, she said to him caused his death, because she says... When Carl Molden says what happened, she says, I killed him. Well, but she doesn't, according, apparently in the play, and I didn't see the play, but the play, apparently, she doesn't understand that her no, calling the, him weak. In the play, it's not as cut and dried. It's not yeah. as, she doesn't blame her, she doesn't, she doesn't consciously blame herself as obviously as she does in the movie. Yeah, when she says, I killed him to Carl Malden, it's like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. It's like, oh, no, I see. It's just from a certain point of view, yeah. George Lucas. Um. <laughs> In the play, it's far more obvious that Stanley does indeed rape Blanche at the end. I wonder yeah. about this because they really sort of cut away and the scene goes dark. And I'm like, does something happen? Does not? Because the day after, this is when Blanche really, and we'll get to the, the plot, but this is when Blanche is really kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But you don't, like the, the chemistry between them doesn't really support that that's what happened. And we'll get, we'll be talking a lot about Stanley Kowalski, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that that is a good deal of the motivation for him wanting to get her out. And it's kind of lost. And they fought for this. And apparently the studio was like, you're not having a rape scene at all. And Tennessee's like, that's what the play's about. You can't remove this. And they, they did this sort of leaves down the river thing where they cut away or, or, or move the camera off to the side. Yeah, but there's some fairly strong symbolism at the beginning where he throws the bottle at the mirror. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's there's just tons of strong symbolism with, with Stanley. I was amazed that he wasn't an, uh, an Aries is the sign of the bull. No, Taurus. Taurus I'm surprised yeah. he was not a, a Taurus, but, you know, mm -hmm. anyway. Also in the play, Stella stays with Stanley. The studio demanded some kind of punishment for the, the rape stuff, so she and the baby leave in the movie. Um, according to Williams, the rape scene had to remain as it was the center of the play, and his word words the rape of blanche by stanley is pivotal integral truth in the play without which the play loses its meaning which is the ravishment of the tender the sensitive the delicate by the savage and brutal forces of modern society it is a poetic plea for comprehension which you will lead to, me to, which will lead me to one of my my conclusions later on but go ahead max i'm you, sorry you, you do understand I, I do have to point out one thing 
It's not simply the studio wanted that. That was the law. They had to follow the Hayes Code. Right. And the Hayes Code had very specific things about you couldn't show rape, and any sort of heavily immoral act had to be punished. Right. You couldn't get away with things like, with, with bad things. You, you always had to show that the bad guy got his comeuppance. And, and while it's a little simplistic to just say Stanley's the bad guy, he does a monstrous thing. And the idea, it's true. In the play, again, it's not cut and dried. Uh, there's, some, there's some questioning about whether she's going to stay or not, but it's, she doesn't storm out. Although even right. in the movie, I think at the end, the fact when he's yelling the "Hey Stella" after her, we've seen that that off that moved her. Even after he had been horrible to her, she came back to him. Yeah, and there's a there's a sort of echo there, a kind of implication. Maybe she won't stay away. And you know that could be them trying to get the original ending of the yeah. play into the movie. Don't know, but there mm. there will be a lot to talk about in this film. I can oh, yeah. just see it. And uh, yeah, there's there's still more here though. Um, the movie's Stanley is shown to rape Blanche, or well, mm -hmm. he's suggested to, though off-screen and only in suggestion, in the I'll-believe-it-when-I-see-it category, it was Marlon Brando who supposedly, supposedly had a fling with Vivian Leigh's husband, Laurence Olivier. Now, I read Wait, that, and I'm like, I know. I was like, really? Then I was, I was going to dismiss this and leave my little trivia part there. Later, when doing some research on Marlon, I came across a personal quote from him. And this was in his biography. Mm -hmm. Like a large number of men, I too have had homosexual experiences and I am not ashamed. Huh. So, oh. And with Larry, well, of course, I thought, well, he's not gay, he's just British. <laughs> well, and it's that's Sir Lawrence, please. I know you you only think of him from the movie, from like Clash of the Titans. <laughs> well, and, that's his best role. Yeah, you, great. You condemn him for one movie that's like, you know, condemning Bruce Willis for Hudson Hawk. To be fair, I think it's the only film I've seen in it. Yeah. Laurence Olivier is one of the greatest actors of the last hundred years. and I some, would, some would say he was the yeah. greatest. Or male actor. Yeah, yeah, male. Excuse me, you're right. Of the last hundred years. And uh, the, the thing, of, if you're talking about uh, Marlon Brando having an experience with him, I believe that because I saw the, this movie. Have you Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood? I did see that. Yeah. And in that he mentioned, well, he mentions that apparently this is, this is what stunned me about the movie is all of this stuff was like open secret, but only in the Hollywood community. It, right. A lot of it never got into the papers. It never got to the tabloids. They didn't have the Internet. But apparently both Vivian Lee and uh, Laurence Olivier were sort of beards for each other for like 20 years. Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, you know, fine. I don't know if that's true. You understand I, this is this is based on the testimony of one guy. Yeah. And who had been with many God. Anyway, Ilya uh, mm. Kazan, maybe you're right. We'll go with Ilya. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. Had quite a few winners to his name over his long career. Other yeah. films he directed include, as we said, Via Zapata, which was, again, with Marlon Brando. On the Waterfront, which, again, was Marlon Brando. East of Eden, where we get uh, James Dean from last week's film. Was it last week? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, a Face in the Crowd, which, if you haven't seen it, is probably Andy Griffith's most amazing performance ever. Don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, he plays basically a... Well, he basically plays Andy Griffith, but who suddenly becomes a national sensation through the power of radio and is earning public office and becoming really well supported, but behind the scenes is a total jerk. As soon as he gets power, yeah. it corrupts him. It's a really great film. Huh. Um, okay. I, I, I saw it. My dad showed it to me a number of years ago. 
Uh, and Splendor in the Grass is just a number of these oh, yeah. films. He also directed the Broadway version of this, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, as well as Death of the Salesman. So, um, yeah, he was kind of huge. Yep. Unfortunately, he testified for the House on american Committee. Yeah, this is a really... Com- you know, I have a lot of trouble with Elia Kazan. Yeah, so does a lot of people in Hollywood, but, because when he was given an honorary Oscar in 1999, not a bunch of people wouldn't stand up, and there was picketing going on outside. Yeah, it's he's more complicated than someone like Roman Polanski or Woody Allen. Right. Or any of the... I mean, those guys are accused of actual criminal acts. Yeah. What happened, Kazan at first refused. During the, you know, during the Red Scare, he was called in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee, and like which was like most of Hollywood. Hollywood and academia were the two big targets because academia was vulnerable and Hollywood was good publicity. Yeah. Everyone, everyone paid attention. And Kazan at first refused to testify. He refused to name names. And then they said, yeah, well, then you're going to prison like the Hollywood 10. Right. And he said, oh, well, let me mention these eight people. Yeah. And, and he ended he ended some other careers. And yeah. he actually was never repentant about it, which was also the hard part. Yeah. He said, I took the the less difficult of two choices, which mm-hmm. not exactly what heroes are made of, but No, the, but this goes it, back to that whole discussion we've had a couple yep. of times of do you want not to be fair, like you said, this isn't as nearly as bad as some of the other people we've named, mm. but Let's Except, put it this way. I'm not going to help fund any more of his new projects. So they <laughs> And it's it's also so difficult because the man is a genius. He is an yeah. incredible director. He was. And he won Oscars, Tonys, Emmys. Yep. yep. He is considered oh. the actor's director. Yeah. They loved him. Uh, and we, he, apart from his, you know, his delight with the method acting, which, come on. Well, it depends on who's wielding that sword, right? Yeah. Because some people can pull it off and some people can't. Some people just become jerks about it. I'm looking at right. you, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm. Um, so when you sit there and look at somebody who's directed films like On the Waterfront, East of Eden, mm. Face in the Crowd, Streetcar Named Desire, and Broadway shows, their original versions mm. like Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, Death of a Salesman, and Streetcar... It's like, uh... Um, we're going to ignore his contribution to theater. It's pretty hard. And again, you, it was a time when everyone was afraid and a lot of people weren't strong enough to hold out. But on the other hand, a lot of people were. A lot of people had yeah. the convictions and they went to jail for, for it. You know, Dalton Trumbo, yep. uh, uh, Biberman, Bessie, well, all those guys, they said, no, we won't do it. Well, Dalton Trumbo found ways around it because he was basically too good to not utilized so they just had to keep changing his name or you know, oh he found ways around not being hired he went to prison you yeah. understand he was in prison no 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 i meant yeah. for not for be for his work continuing oh yeah no he uh, was one of the few and he yeah if you ever see i kind of like the movie trumbo with uh, Brian france oh you saw it yeah because i yeah. didn't know anything about him so yeah, yeah and it, it was funny it's it's actually a lot of fun and i love the fact that he starts out work Okay, now this is a whole other show. Never mind. I know, oh. I know. Yeah, one last piece, though. This is yeah. actually about Marlon Brando, because I saw this mm. in, like, no, seriously, but I saw this in a number of different places. Well, number being IMDb and Wikipedia. <laughs> Marlon's best friend in real life was, can you guess, do you know this? I don't. You won't believe me. <laughs> Go ahead. Wally Cox. What? They met when they were really? in school, and they were best friends. Uh, they were <laughs> roommates in the 40s. 
Uh, Wally Cox, for those who don't know, and I'm guessing a lot of people, this is not a household name anymore, was Ugh. probably best known for being the voice of Underdog. <laughs> <laughs> although he, he and his own work was very funny. Too, Strangely, um, although he played like this 98-pound weakling, he mm-hmm. was apparently exceedingly physically fit. Huh. And was very big into in fitness and, and doing stuff. But he was the nebbish's nebbish. Um, wow. he, he showed up in tons of TV, occasional movies. Um, but they met and were mo- roommates in the 40s. When Cox died unexpectedly, Brando took Cox's ashes under the assumption that he would see to their proper disposal. But he instead hid them in his closet. <laughs> um, his and Cox's ashes were spread together after Brando's death. Oh. Yeah, wow. uh, of two actors, I would never yeah, have seriously being Wally best Co- friends. Wally Cox would be about the size of Brando's forearm. Yeah, Brando's forearm. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's all. Do you have any other trivia? This is probably the longest we've done trivia, but man, there was well, a lot I, of... I do want to say one thing about the actual, the original playwright, Ten- you know, Tennessee Williams. Best, yeah. known, best known, of course, for his song, 16 Tons. That, and, no, that's Tennessee Ernie Ford. True, and at least that Ernie, that one has the distinction. Tennessee Williams never appeared on "I Love Lucy." Tennessee Ernie Ford did. Um, yes. Okay. Well, that was certainly worthwhile. No, no. no, no. Tennessee Williams. Oh, uh, he did. He loved doing those plays about the you know, antediluvian South, because yeah, you know, that was sort of his background. He he was from Tennessee. He was from the South. Antediluvian? And, Do you mean antebellum? Antebellum, excuse me. Antediluvian? <laughs> After the flood. Like... Why? No, they've off, they've referred to it sometimes that way. But Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That sounded like something you had to do with Cthulhu. It's like, no. well, <laughs> I would you... love to see a Tennessee Williams musical that has to do with Cthulhu, because that... Yeah. I don't think he did musicals. Uh-huh. Oh, well. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was very... He had a lot of background in the in Southern aristocracy. That culture has always... I've, I've always found that culture fascinating, because... You know, back from uh, colonial times, the South considered itself to be the aristocrats of the country. Yeah. They understood, it's like, okay, we don't have a king, but we have to have nobility. I mean, every country has to have aristocrats. That's just the way it is. Mm. And you had those, you know, because down in the South, which was the cradle of uh, agriculture in this country, you had these enormous estates, your enormous wealth, and uh, they were like fiefdoms, practically. And good times there are ne'er forgotten. Yeah, yeah. We can see what came of that. Of course, it was all built on the backs of slaves, but uh, that's not pretty. So we don't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And good thing uh, that our society is not like that at all. Any. Uh, oh, oh no. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <clears throat> but uh, Tennessee Williams. Uh, a lot of people will say that there's the big three American playwrights. Yeah. Arthur Miller, Eugene yep. O'Neill. And Tennessee Williams. They are considered by many the greatest American playwrights. Arthur Miller, eh, I think I think say, the man had a tin ear for language. Say what you will, Death of a Salesman's gigantic. I it's mean, very big, it's very powerful, but the dialogue to me always sounds weird. The plot so, is great, the way the characters are presented is good, but just the way they talk, it's clumsy. Aren't the sons named Biff and Happy? Yep. Never understood that. Yeah. Nicknames that stuck with them. I'm assuming their names were probably like like you know, Fred and Barney or something. <laughs> uh, but for, to be fair, I, I've had to read Arthur Miller. I haven't read the other two. Mm. So. I've re- yeah, I've read the well. Arthur Miller. No, I'm sorry. All three of them are unbelievably depressing. Let's see. It's Scarlet. No, no, that's not Nathaniel Hawthorne. It's uh, uh, the Crucible. Yep, the, Cru- uh, the Death Cru- of Salesman. Yeah, those are the big two for Miller. Okay. 
Oh, I see the big three playwrights. Oh, okay. Yeah, big three playwrights. No, no. Eugene O'Neill's big thing, of course, is Long Day's Dirty Tonight. He has a, a father. He has a, he has several, but that's that's his most famous. And Tennessee Williams, he has the Glass Menagerie, and he has uh, Streetcar Named Desire, and he has a bunch of others. Let's not kid ourselves, but those are the ones most people. Those are the ones you're forced to read in high school <laughs> and like. Yeah. And <laughs> right. again, yeah, he okay. has an amazing way with language. His stuff can be just pure poetry. Yeah, yeah. we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, that, anything else before we nope, get to that, the plot? That's all I got. I know this is oh dear gods we've done almost half the show in yeah pre- I know. Preview, we but that's okay to the movie yeah uh, the plot so mm-hmm. Blanche Dubois has lost everything the family home her job and self respect so she seeks out her sister and her sister's husband who live in New Orleans or New Orleans or however one says that the husband a brutish ape of a man Stanley Kowalski is hardly glad to have somebody else living under his roof to that end he torments Blanche until she loses her sense of reality. That is about as bare bones a description of that plot as you can get. Because if you get any further, it's we're going to spend another 24 minutes talking about the yeah. plot. But that's pretty much it. Now, we can actually talk about the movie. Yeah. The Lowdown. So you had not seen this. I had not. I had read the play. And we're deeply looking forward to it because you knew it was going to be uh, uplifting and fun. <laughs> this is one of the... There's a reason I never watched the movie. The play is brilliant, but it hurts. It's so painful. It's so dark and depressing. And it's just this awful vision of people. And the worst part is it's completely believable. I See, I don't didn't find it depressing the way I was expecting. It's not an easy show to watch. Mm. Um, there are things that are easy to watch in it. One of them is Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I not this is him at his absolute prime. I didn't see the wild one and I you know, I don't know if he's He leaves going his shirt to... on the entire time in the wild one. See, so it's already secondary to yeah. this. <laughs> uh I he I mean there's a there's a Patton Oswald bit where he refers to uh the the confidence oh, of yeah. a young Brando just basically braggadocing his way into the scene and dear gods, when Stanley Kowalski walks onto that set, it's like holy crap, who is that? Yeah. And and he is gigantic. I mean, this he is an ape in this film. He is built like an ape. And they didn't make t-shirts, so they had to go and 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 tailor them for him to show off his physique cuz Yeah, they really ma- they want to make a deal of he is a pure he's a creature of physicality. Yeah. And and hmm? his clothes come off quicker than a stripper's. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he his shirts rip more easily than Captain Kirk's. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Um, and, and then, of course, there's his acting. So there's, yeah. beyond his physical presence, it's like, man, there is a baseball bat of a performance. He, and, he, he has so much power. It's I think that's one of the reasons they picked Vivian Lee, Because it's really hard to be in a scene with Marlon Brando because he will just blow you off the screen. Yeah. And, and, and there's a really good dichotomy between her, you know, fanning self southern bell and lord i feel i may have the vapors versus you know what are you two a couple of queens <laughs> yeah yeah just oh. ugh, big big bold brassy acting gripes <laughs> and even carl malden whom most people probably if they remember him uh you know old enough to remember remember him from the streets of san francisco mm-hmm. but he was a stage actor he was a hollywood actor he's in a lot of things even his performance he's got this this very interesting positive and negative side this yeah. very like wow I, I really like this woman I want to be with her but you can tell beneath that there's 
a little bit of killer instinct too because his temper shows up the idea is this is blanche is this sort of fallen aristocrat among the brutes right and what does well, she say about, about what's one of the first things she says about stanley and you can tell it's her ultimate condemnation it's the worst thing she can say about anybody he's common yeah and, and he is he is they all are everyone there except blanche and stella and stella you can tell is sort of you know sort of going native she's yeah. beca- becoming that to a certain degree but yeah blanche is this hothouse flower and among the weeds and even as soon as she gets and this is the one of the parts that i, that I didn't like about the show mm-hmm. is that as soon as she gets off the title of the movie um because they kind of hit us over the head with it and by bit. the way at that point in time the streetcars were no longer a thing it was a bus but ah. there originally was a, a line, a streetcar line called Desire. Streetcars, for people who don't know, and that's going to be most of you, there's still a few here and there. There's yeah. a lot in Europe. They're basically a tracked train that runs on electricity through the middle of town. Um, Boston still has a few. They still um, have them in San Francisco, the cable yeah. cars. Yeah, well, that's that wasn't electric. That's actually run on from this yeah. big cable that runs underground. But anyway, um, they they say the name of the show. She gets off the streetcar. It's like, we get it. I would actually rather we hadn't seen that. But as soon as she gets off the streetcar, she's lost in every sense of the word. She was given directions on how to get... Nobody meets her. Mm -hmm. So she's given directions on how to walk through what I'm guessing is one of the lesser parts of the the French Quarter, if it's part of the French Quarter. It is. uh, To get to the Kowalski's place. And there's this young sailor who thankfully is very nice and helps her. But it's like, this almost reminds like, is she in the combat zone in Boston? Is that really a good idea? Mm-hmm. And she's walking through this part of town and there are bar fights going on. And that, that heathen jazz music, which, oh, you know, yes. quite honestly, I was it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, and she's, New Orleans, you got to have jazz. Yeah, and she's got this this dress. I don't know what that material is, but it's like this light, breezy fabric, which wouldn't yeah. protect her from a mosquito bite. Taffeta or something. Or I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and it's just like, one of these things is not yeah. like the other. It's like, wow, talk about, yeah, stranger in a strange land. And of course, Vivian Leigh is no like uh, stranger to this kind of role because uh, if you've forgotten her, she was kind of big in this film called Gone with the Wind. But you know, oh, but that's a very different character. Scarlett O'Hara, oh, would have Scarlett just O'Hara would have stomped through, here. She would have stomped through the quarter, you know, thrown Stanley out on his ass and saying, "Okay, we're gonna. T- I'm taking over now." Yeah, but y'all, she also could do the other side of this. Yeah, she could do the um, oh my, my yeah, but it, the vapors. Huh? Yeah, but that with Scarlett, it was an act because underneath yeah. she was steel. Well, she ended up having to be. Yeah. She she wanted what she wanted. That's another yeah. film. But yeah. um, so she gets to the Kowalskis and it is just, you. I don't think you said that uh, Stella has mostly left behind. I think she, except for uh, Blanche being there, she's entirely left her past behind. Mm. And I kept thinking this was New York because it felt so much like New York by the <laughs> 40s and 50s, you know? It, it, in some ways it is. Yeah. Um, but... There's Stella, and it's like her accent is pretty much gone, too. Yeah. She doesn't have any... She has very little of the... She has a little of the Louisiana drawl, but she doesn't have any of the Mississippi drawl. And I heard her voice, and I'm like, I know that voice. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was in a Columbo episode. Yeah, she, is, well, the thing I know of Kim Hunter from best, and what a lot of people do, she was Dr. Zira in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Dear God. In, like, really? three of the movies. Yep, that was her under the mask. <sighs> wow. Okay. 
Planet of the Apes. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. She goes from this to Planet of the Apes to Columbo. Yeah, okay. pretty much. And, well, at least she'd won her Oscar, so good for her. Yeah. And apparently she did well in the play, because that's where she came <laughs> from, too. Mm. So, yeah, and then you're just watching Stanley be an utter turd. Because, oh, let's God. face it, there is no... It, Stanley starts off with almost no redeeming qualities, and then erases any liking you might except have except occasionally you see that he really does love stella yeah but with it the thing is stanley he's not he's like a he's somewhere between a child and a wild animal he wants what he wants he has no impulse control and he has a vile temper yes and he is and as we said he's very physical so everything he does he breaks things he throws things it's kind of I, one of the parts I find a little disturbing is when Stella is talking about how oh it it does, you know Stanley has a temper tantrum and throws the radio out the window and smashes wit smashes things, and she's you know trying to just explain it away to uh, Blanche and saying when you know the night we were married, he took my slipper and he smashed every light bulb in the place. It was so and, romantic. And, yeah, and, and and Blanche is going uh, what. <laughs> and, and Stella's going, it was kind of thrilling. You know, she she's obviously, she's kind of attracted to that primal, bestial nature. Until it goes too far. And then, yeah. 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 And then there's every hint that the only way, or if it's not this the case now, eventually the only way to calm Stanley down is to leave him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he becomes that child that you Then mentioned. he gets scared and start basically starts crying. And there's yeah. that sequence where, you know, she runs upstairs early on in the film and he just standing at the foot of the stairs doing that famous Stella hey Stella and you can hear yeah. the that's people make fun of that all the time it's so parodied and so done but when you hear him do it you hear the anger and the desperation and the fear yeah and that he needs her it's unbelievable I mean it's just yeah. one word he keeps yelling her name over and over again and it just grabs you this is one of those capital T performances. It capital really P. is. This is the thing that act that people, that actors watch, kids watch and go, "I want to be an actor. I want to do that." And to his credit, Marlon Brando did not like the character. No, and good he, for him because yeah. if he had, it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, Marlon he, had some, he had some really weird sides to him. Not weird in a bad way, but like he was really big on equal rights. Mm. And, like, he was known to do things. I, th I want to try to think, did he show up? I th it was either a Black Panther rally or was it the, the funeral to uh, for Dr. Martin Luther King? I thought it was Dr. King's funeral, but I'm not Yeah, he was positive. very outspoken on that stuff, on Native American rights. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, wait, wait, that guy and this guy? Really? Sure. When, Mar when he won his Oscar for The Godfather, he didn't accept it. He sent up, uh, oh, what was her name? I'd have to, I saw her I name. I can't remember, but a Native yeah. American woman uh, saying, Mr. Brando has asked me to come up here, and basically he does, he's not accepting the Oscar, and he wants to give the time to talking about Native American rights. Ooh, and that, that just, go over badly? Oh, my. The people didn't know, because you don't do that with the Oscars. If you're an actor and they you have anything to do with the Oscars, you are supposed to prostrate yourself before the altar of the Oscar and just sit there going, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. 
don't forget to smooch the butt on the yep. way out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they actually made a law that very year that yeah. if you can't accept your Oscar, we'll do it for you. That's yeah. not going to happen again. The only time they let it be somebody else is if, you know, like somebody died. They might like let the uh, spouse or something, but well, if you're not there, it it's the presenter. George C. Scott uh, wouldn't take it when he nope. won it for patent. Yep. He ref he came up and said, "Thank you, but I I can't I don't accept this for a, a movie that glorifies war." Yeah. It's like, "Well, you did make it." <laughs> yeah, it's like, "What did you what did you think was going to happen? You yeah, could I, you you could have acted worse." I I took the money, but 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 still. <laughs> anyway, that's that's yet another film yeah. that I have not seen. Um there's really not a bad performance in here. There are lesser mm. performances, but that's only because they don't have as many lines. And also, um, it's you're in a movie with Vivian Lee and Marlon friggin' Brando. It's kind of hard to shine. Yeah. Um, Stella, I think Kim Hunter does a fine job. Yeah, you know? she does a good job. She, she holds... <laughs> she won an Oscar for it. She holds her... Yeah, I think she basically... Uh, I think won the Oscar for, Hi, you were in a lot of scenes with Marlon Brando, and we still remember who you are. Yeah. And that was amazing. You know, you held your own against Marlon Brando. And, and, Here, here's two Oscars. <laughs> and Carl Malden, who is mm. generally not thought of as that kind of actor. Very solid, very reliable, but not that kind of actor. And he shines pretty, again, won an Oscar for it. Yeah, he there's does. some depth to that character. That character is a poker buddy. Yeah. He's a poker and, buddy. And you can see a little Stella, or sorry, yeah, Blanche actually has a point. She says there's something superior about him. And you get well, the feeling he's got some class. Yeah, he's he's trying. You get the feeling right. he tries, but you also get the feeling that deep down he's not any better than any of them. Um, he just—I'd say he's he, a better—he's a better person than Stanley Kowalski. Well, all he's, of them are better people than Stan. <laughs> come on, even the other guy who fights uh, Eunice's husband, who fights with her all the time. Even you know, even he's better than Stanley because there's no evidence that he hurts his wife. Yeah, they this, just scream at each other. I want to say that this movie might have a lot to answer for in a way because I can feel echoes of this film going through the decades. Like I'm going to go out on a limb and say that first we got, uh, I'll do this in, in order. We got this film, this play. Then we got Jackie Gleason in the honeymooners, which mm -hmm. quite honestly has a lot of similarities to this. He is not nearly as bad a person, but he's loud. He throws things and his, relationship with um alice alice is very toxic the one thing we've got is that alice ain't having none of this and she is obviously in the end tougher than yeah than you, Jack. you always get the feeling despite all of those one of these days alice pow yeah. right in the kisser you know he'd never lay a hand on her because she'd kill him but you don't know that she wouldn't lay a hand on him yeah i'm pretty sure she would kick his fat ass out of the apartment and from there, we obviously get Fred Flintstone. Yeah, well, yes. Because <laughs> if, 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 if anything, the Flintstones, and let's put it the, right out on the table here, The Honeymooners is basically the blueprint for man and wife sitcoms for the next 30 years. Something like that. <laughs> Except because again, after I don't get... think any of, them are, any of the relationships are as toxic as, uh, no. as theirs was. Because the whole joke, I mean, it, that was sort of based on the radio show The Battling Bickersons. Yeah. And from here, from there, you could even argue that watered down in, in a different way, you get the Simpsons and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. But that whole, oh, you know, man and wife, they, he calls her the battle axe and she blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that whole thing. That kind of feels, common, yeah. It feels very much like there was a seed 
from this. You and you will see movies do that where parts of them, like there's a film that I like called Bell, Book, and Candle, which came oh, out yeah. I believe, in 1960, and suddenly we had Bewitched and I Dream of Genie, and yeah. magic was a thing. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, this, yeah, this movie, Streetcar Named Desire, it's, God, it's like a, I think I have it written in here, it's this tribute to dysfunctional relationships. Yeah. I mean, all of the, so many of these, the, the marriages we see shouldn't happen. I, you no. don't, like, why does Eunice keep going, taking this guy back? Why do, you know, why does Stella put up with anything like she does? Uh. Except with Stella, they never say it, but you know this sex must be incredible. <laughs> The makeup sex, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, let's face it too. When she left home for whatever reason, there wasn't much left anyway. Yeah. Belle Reed or whatever it Belle was, Reeve, yeah, Reeve, Reeve, Belle Reeve. The, the the family home was apparently mortgaged up to the eyeballs, and they didn't even really own it. So when she left Belle Reeve, she already basically had nothing. She yeah. walked away from whatever was left there, which you know was being held onto by her sister Blanche. But she shows up in New Orleans, and with what? Nothing. So I think the reason she stays with Stanley is because she's worried, too, that if she doesn't have him, she has nothing, which, of course, just well, makes it sadder. That happens, but that's how a lot of de- relationships where there's domestic abuse maintained right. is the woman is afraid to leave because she has no way to support herself. Right. And they decide, hey, I know the best idea. Let's have a baby. Oh, uh, yeah. wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Stanley's going to be just a peachy father. You can you can just tell. Yeah. And, you know, the like you said, the upstairs neighbors with with. Eunice and I don't know her husband's name, but man, he's a piece of work. Yeah. Everyone at that poker game is a piece of work. Um, everybody in the film is a piece of work. They, they really, they there is no one. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like they're all monsters, but there is no one who's genuinely likable. Everyone in there is this. And again, you can argue that's very realistic. Everyone in this yeah. movie is a tremendously flawed human being. Yes. And, and also, I think Tennessee got flawed human being down just perfect. Yeah, he nails that. And Blanche, poor Blanche. I mean, both you feel bad for her, but also, come on, you do kind of get, I get kind of get sick of her. Because swanning about as this fallen aristocrat and everything about her is artifice and false. All, yeah. of, her, all of her clothes are worn and, you know, faded. All of her jewelry is fake. You know, yeah. all she's all the supposed he thinks they're diamonds. They're all rhinestones. Yeah. All the and, pe- I, and even like the reasoning, she says, yes, I had to leave my teaching job because of my nerves. It's like, no, no, it's because you pulled a Mary Kay Letourneau. Yeah. And, yeah. And had she had enough. And she tries to do it again. Yes. Although, as it turns out, the actor who played the paper boy was apparently 27. Oh, so, but that. Oh, God, that whole scene. It's it's just as bad in the play. It's so creepy. Yeah, where they are this this young man, this supposed teenager, is collecting for the newspaper, and she's basically coming on to him right before a date with Carl Malden. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And, he, and he's just standing there going, "Ma'am, I, I gotta get my manager." Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, poor kid, is just has no idea what the hell's going on. No. So talking about Blanche. Mm. So one of my notes is quite honestly. I think she's overwritten, and I think she's a little overplayed. Really? The reason I say that is because she never shuts up. Mm-hmm. It is it is so obvious that this is about her. Yeah, we know. We know. The spotlight is always on Blanche. And part of that's the character. She wants the spotlight to be a on. A lot she of that w- is the character. She sees herself as an aristocrat, as, no, as nobility. Yes. She, as someone of a better age who is supposed to be 
pampered. I mean, she says, I love being waited on. She's supposed to be pampered and have servants and have all the, everyone paying attention to her and you know, begging for her, as they say, favors. And this is one of those roles that I'm sure actors look at and go, oh, my God, I want to play Blanche Dubois. There's a part. Oh, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> and there's just scenes, though, where she's going on and on. And I'm looking at the other actors mentally thinking, when do I come in? When do I come in? Because they just they're they're left. And it's not that they're directed badly, but they are left not being able to say anything. There, Especially there's a, a, a dance uh, she goes to with Carl Malden's character, mm. whose name I cannot remember. Um, uh, Mitch. And, Mitch, that thank you. Uh, they go out onto the veranda, which isn't a veranda, but it's, no. it's it's a dock. Yeah. But they go out, and he is desperately trying to say, basically, I want to marry you, and she's going on and on about everything else, and it's just like you know, and this is Carl's best scene. Yeah. Carl is that he is showing these two sides to this character. This is where Max, you were saying, I don't think Carl's that much better than Stanley. He's trying, but it's like you know, Carl's got a temper. We know we've seen it, or we will see it even worse when he starts a fight with Stanley at work. Yeah. But you, this is where we start to see that bubble to the surface. And he wants to be a better person, but in the end, he may end up not being. I have this feeling that if he does marry, at some point, there's going to be something ugly. Yeah. Um, whereas with Stanley, it's whenever he comes home. Yeah, it started out as something ugly, let's face it. But there's just, there's some of the dialogue, I just feel like there's too much. Mm. And she's a little too much like, oh, my vapors, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I got I got a little tired of it. Yeah. And I looked, in, I looked into Tennessee, I'm sorry to, to cut you off. I, I looked into Tennessee Williams, and apparently some of this has to do with his own upbringing. Mm -hmm. So his father was an alcoholic, abusive father which is yeah. where we get Stanley. Yeah. And his sister, Rose, apparently did suffer from mental health issues and basically ended up living a good deal of her life in an institution. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, there's obviously a big correlation between Blanche and his sister, Rose. However, I had to wonder if Blanche also wasn't meant to represent Tennessee. Tennessee was a this is this is that known secret but tennessee was a homosexual yes and i know and i couldn't help but wonder if all of that drama and all of that spotlight seeking was and all of that oh poor pitiful me wasn't partially coming out of tennessee to represent tennessee i could see that i think you can make a case for that I think I would also go that it's also the sort of the the southern the culture that he had seen of the fallen southern aristocrats a hundred right. years after the Civil War, uh, when the entire when what he what she describes as the uh, you know they sell off more and more of the plantation and more and more of the property they started off incredibly rich and they ended up dirt poor that happened a lot yeah. in the yep. deeps in the South among the the rich landowners who lost everything in the Civil War. And you had the, these people who were desperately clinging to the faded glories of the past, these huge, incredible houses with, you know, weeds growing in the living room. And, right. And I think she's supposed to represent that. She represents the last vestiges of the old world. And she, they, she tries, they, uh, that was the thing I like about the characters. It brings across that there's something appealing about it. It's elegant. And it, it respects beauty and culture and knowledge. And manners are nice. And ma <laughs> Yes, and manners and etiquette. 
but it's also you know the the class system and there are common people are beneath us and we are special because of the what family we've been born into i think she makes she's a really great picture of that she's like the best and the worst of the old aristocracy and she's also the demo the, very clearly that it's dying and she there she's like represents some of the last of it well she's also basically a, a big facade of lies yeah everything about her is a lie right because she apparently was um to you like for want of a better word um selling herself mm. um or at least it was hard to tell if she was selling herself or if she was just taking in gentlemen friends and their gifts i, I couldn't yeah. quite figure it out because it I sounded think, like she was working out of a hotel so yeah. i don't know what that meant i th- i think you're right i think it's the second i think i don't think she considered her that she was prostituting herself right i think she was just having many gentlemen callers right but you know right. everyone did, else saw it as something else she did always get by on the kindness of strangers yeah 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 just a, for me a little too much just a little too much. Not that there was anything wrong with the performance. It was really, for me, it was the writing. It was just... It's very we, stylized. It's very yeah. much... Ten- yeah, yeah, Tennessee Williams can get on your nerves. I, I found this reading that in The Glass Menagerie. It's like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. D- but When do these actors I, get to take a breath? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Breathe along with Brenda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it, that's why I wonder if it didn't have... A closer connection to Tennessee than it did to, you know, necessarily to his sister Rose, just because what character is going to get the most attention? Oh, the one that represents me. Because that's just how those things work. No, I think generally. that's an interesting point. I think that you might be right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just making yeah. this up. Yeah. Uh, it could also yes. be somebody else came up with that theory, and if you search the web, but I did it first! Well, well I mean, no. <laughs> Say so, uh, yes, a- absolutely. His his language can, especially for Blanche, can get very overblown. But some of it is so beautiful, and yeah. some of the lines I just love where she's talking about all the funerals. You know, funerals are prettier than death, or when she's ta- when uh, she's talking about Stanley at first. Oh, he's Polish. That's sort of like Irish, isn't it? So, <laughs> it's like, oh, yikes! Uh, and of course, they get to use that that wonderful term many times. Uh, the the p word we won't say it, but uh, the denigration oh, to yeah. Polish people, mm-hmm. um, which is I don't know. Brando's background, I think, is British and yeah. like that part. Of, but whatever, yeah. that's fine. And that whole um, sequence with the the Spanish woman out on the street. Oh my God! The ghost flores, of death. Flores, flores, flores muertos, flowers for the dead. It's like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make her go I, away. <laughs> Now, and what does she represent? Does she represent Blanche seeing her own death? Does it represent the death of her past? It was actually a really interesting little symbol wandering mm-hmm. around selling stuff. Yeah, because she's selling... I think it's supposed to be for the Day of the Dead. Yeah. and, and um, But it's not clear, because aren't, we aren't seeing any of, the, any of the rest of the festivals. But, yeah, it could be anything. It's like she says, when people die, it's expensive. Yeah. That was one of the things that helped ruin them. They had to pay for all these funerals one after another. I mean, in addition to the tragedy of losing all... What, they lost the father, the mother, the, her si- another sister. Yeah, and it was that everybody. Ca- that cost money. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting because I, I literally knew nothing about the plot of this movie or this yeah. play. Because I, I knew Stella, you know, Stella and all that stuff. And I knew Marlon Brando was in it. Oh, boy, was Marlon Brando. <laughs> oh, sorry. <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> but... I, one of my notes was, I'm 30 minutes into this show, and I have no idea what it's going to be about, but I am captivated. Yeah. 
the thing is the tension start it, the tension gets so uncomfortable because you yeah. can tell you know, if Stanley has had it up to here with Blanche I mean, five months they have yeah. been living in those two rooms and I'm like I am amazed he lasted that long well the way she's still flinching and hasn't got used to it, my feeling is is that he hasn't lasted that long. Oh. Is that he like every other day he throws something because that's oh. what Stanley does. God, the scenes at the dinner table where he's you know she asks him to clear his place and he smashes the dishes, start throwing things, and the two of them hunch over their plates. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that makes sense. They it looks too practiced. Like oh god, I don't want him to break any more dishes. Yeah, so or I'm... I don't want him to smash my chicken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't finished. Yeah, I have a thing for cluck. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. I, mm. This is one of those films. Speaking of one of the, uh, what what else do you have for notes? Uh, one thing I did notice, and when you had brought this up uh, last week about James Dean idolizing Marlon Brando, you can really see. I, I was thinking just when Brando's doing the Hey Stella, and James Dean in. Uh, uh, rebel without a, no rebel oh. without a cause he's doing you're tearing me apart it's very <laughs> yeah and then tommy was so doing the same thing but he does i'm Jenny. sorry he doesn't get to be mentioned in the same sentence as those two guys no but, well those two are actors and he's not. yeah although he thought he thought he was the new james dean anyway you uh. can really see james dean is kind of trying to channel that same kind of primal scream which I have to say, in that movie, while he does it really well, it seems so out of place. You know, it's funny, too, because we, we talked a lot about James Dean mm -hmm. idolizing uh, Marlon Brando and, you know, annoying him by calling him yeah. and leaving a message. <laughs> I, in, except for that, I really don't see them having a similar well, take, only because I think James Dean didn't get a lot of breadth to the three characters he played to be fair i've only seen <laughs> yeah. two of them yeah but no. they're basically like quiet 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 mumble mumble quiet quiet ah quiet yeah. quiet and brando okay forget it every time yeah. brando's doing something it's different yeah so uh but you know the method acting thing um again we, yeah. we talked about this last week you know james dean was on the verge of doing something amazing and we not we'll never, we'll get never to see it. it yeah so now uh, yeah. the, the only other one of the other notes i had was uh oh by the way the the prof proper word for describing Marlon Brando. I wrote this down when he first shows up in that t-shirt. The proper word is in fact, woof. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just you know, I, I'm not into guys, but I saw him walk in, those big arms, the shoulders, the chest, I'm like, dang! Sorry if I'm upsetting some of our listeners, but yeah. Uh, the one thing too I want to point out is that, unlike a lot of movies that are based on a play, they added enough extra locations that this didn't continuously feel like a play. Yeah, it's which a, was nice. That's, yeah, that's a big difference. In the play, of course, takes place entirely in the apartment. Right, and you could tell that that's probably what they did. But we've yeah. got some some backlash. Oh, I'm sorry. We have some <laughs> uh, some streets yeah. of New Orleans. We've yep. got the the streetcar area itself. They go out to the factory. There's the bowling scenes. There's so there's. It's nice that they did this because when you see films that are based on plays, a lot of times they keep it all very very claustrophobic and to be fair that's one of the points of this film but it feels that way and this film yeah. didn't feel that way yeah no I, I think this is an amazing adaptation and again while i have mixed feelings about Elia kazan i cannot deny that he is directing is fantastic this it's just incredible the way he does yeah. it the way he adapts it 
So are we ready to render our verdict? I think so, yeah. Because oh, yeah. this film has been waiting 60-something years yep, for us yep. to decide. And people are sitting on the edge of their chairs. They've, they've got to know. Yes, let, let's, let's do that. The Roundup. Well, I'll put it to you because mm-hmm. I'm the one who chose the film. Max, what did you think of this mm-hmm. film? Eh, it's okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no this, thing is a, this thing is a damn masterpiece. This is the thing you hold up in film class and say, "Hi, you want to make a movie? Look at this." You want, or more? I suppose that's not. No, if you want to make a movie that highlights the acting, hmm. that's this. This is an actor's movie. Yep. This is a movie that lives and dies with the cast, and they have an incredible cast here. Now, again, I'm not not taking anything away from the script. I'm not taking away from the amazing use of language that that is Tennessee Williams. But if you have bad actors doing this, this is a play. And I have I saw part of one of these part of one that is so easy to do badly. It mm. is so easy to ruin with bad performances. You have to have really good people, and but and they did. And this movie it knocks it out of the park. I can't say I enjoy it because it's <laughs> painful, but it's so good. You know, when you put it that way, I'm suddenly of a mood to see a high school production. <laughs> Oh, no, no. Oh, boy, because, you know, that could be fun. Uh, Not saying that there can't be good high school actors, but, yeah, this is like you got to step up to the plate. Yeah, well, besides, also, the the other thing to see is on The Simpsons, they did a musical version, O Streetcar. Uh, Ah, (laughs) did they? Well, I think I'll have to look that up. Um, So here's a question I have for you, too, because this is a toughie. Yeah. Brilliant film, great acting. Do you think the film holds up? Yeah, or is it anachronistic enough that it gets lost in its time? Oh, interesting. It, it's it's true. We're sitting there, and the, you, as a modern audience, you go, my God, why isn't she calling the police? Why isn't social services stepping in? You know, why, why is everyone just ignoring it? I think it does hold up, because quite honestly, I think that still happens. I think that I would not call it universal. Like, no. it doesn't fit any time. It really needs to be a specific set of decades i think it could have been earlier than the 50s it could have been the 30s um except that you have to deal with the depression but even then like the outside politics don't touch this at all except for the civil war so and world war ii we do know that oh that's right because they're all war well they could have been world war one buddies true you know it could have been a different war that is true yeah but it's like it it it, this is not something you would set in space (laughs) Oh man! Yes, a trans war. A starship desire. called Desire. Yeah, uh, yeah. The setting does matter, but I think the uh, the chronology. I think the time you could you could move it around. I think it. I think it holds up very well. But I, it has to be its time. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you it, couldn't. You couldn't, you couldn't do this, this in Sheboygan. It has to be like, New Orleans. It has to be the South. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically, to adapt it for anything like the current day, you'd have to rewrite the play. And uh, no, no, don't, don't, don't no. Pl- anyone listening, please, please don't do that. Yeah, I, I mean, the performances are stunning, and this is again one of those capital T, capital F films mm. that you're supposed to see if you have any interest in movies beyond popcorn and bubble gum. Wait, that's music. Uh, that ooh, that's a bad mix. Popcorn it really and is. Ooh, you yikes! Your teeth like you wouldn't believe. <sighs> Crunchy bubbles at your <laughs> local store. Uh, the, the, you, at some point, you got to see this film, and yes. this is going to be one of those films where you hear a lot about it. And I think Max, you even said this last week: "Is will it live up to the hype?" Oh yeah, yeah, mm, it does. It, it does. You see why Brando was Brando, 
you know, why people talk about him with capital letters. Mm. Um, Vivian Leigh, uh, you know, amazing performances. Oh. The other people, too, that you didn't necessarily expect it out of. You're like, wow, these people can really, when they're given the right part, the right direction. Yeah. Um, you have to take it as being, I don't know when the play first premiered. I want to say probably 47. late 40s, 40, 47. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think Brando was 24. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. He got he that film. So it's young. like, yeah. It is something I think that people should see. Mm -hmm. uh, not if, if for no other reason, how to adapt a stage play into a convincing film that doesn't necessarily feel like a stage play. Sure, you can hear the echoes of it, mm -hmm. but they give you enough so you don't feel all like cramped in your seat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those films for a reason. So next week, though, are we watching another one of those capital T capital F films? I don't know how much of it is it is really one of those films. For me, it's a this is a Spielberg film that I've always meant to watch, and I've nineteen forty one. No, I think we're holding that. I'll hold that out for classics week. Uh, oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> that's a no, that's a brilliant no. performance by John Belushi. I think, yeah. <laughs> no, not nineteen forty one. I have never seen Empire of the Sun. Oh yeah. Well, so I'm glad like you're you're aiming for a nice happy film. That's all happy, and it's very happy. And they're oh, singing. Come on, it's Christian Bale is in it. He always does cheerful films. Yeah, like yes. Newsies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So next week, yep. Empire of the Sun. Empire of the Sun, which will be our penultimate episode in. This... I've been meaning to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I've been meaning to fire you. Max, you were once again fired. <laughs> you fired me already. You can't fire me twice. I quit twice. You, you can't quit. I fired you. No, too late. Fired, fired, fired. Max is fired. Next week, tune in with a new Max who will be popalicious. <laughs> This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. No, you start recording. No, you start recording. No, you start recording. No, you start. No, you first. Wait. You first infinity. Stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs>